Happy Resurrection Day. Can I try it? He is risen. risen. (laughs) There you go. I saw a quote by C.S. Lewis yesterday. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Right? And so today our theme is come alive. I left my notes somewhere. Okay, you got them. Good. Um, So I... uh, our theme, we just really felt like God was impressing on our hearts. Like it's, it's a reminder for all of us to come alive because of everything that Jesus already accomplished for us. And so we're just, um, we're just excited just to be reminded of that today. Um, we've been going, Cody and I have been going through a series the past several weeks um, on the covenants. How many of you guys have heard some of those? Has it been helpful? Yeah, so for Cody and I, this understanding of God really making covenants with um, humanity and pursuing uh, men and women from the beginning of time and then choosing to step into these covenant relationships with particular people really changed um, our view of God, how we saw him. Um, Because for a long time, we could look at, and I know for some of you guys who have been here, you've heard this, but I know that I would look at the Bible and I'd be like, You know, when you first become a believer, you're encouraged to read the New Testament. You're all about Jesus. And you're like, wow, this powerful, amazing, kind, loving man, Jesus. Sometimes he's a little bit harsh to the Pharisees, but he's really kind to all the sinners and, and all, you know, all that. And you see this amazing man who gave himself for the sins of the whole world. And then you start to read the Old Testament. You're like, dude who is this guy, right? Because there's a lot in the Old Testament and you can get this really wrong impression um, because the truth is that we know, and if you are part of our church or if you start to to come to our church, you're going to hear a lot that God is good, right? That he is loving, that he... He literally is this God who, um, who will do anything for us. He's done everything for us. He would do ev- anything for us. He is kind. He is not angry. He's in a good mood. He's not looking down at you, constantly mad at you and disappointed in you. He is a good, kind, loving God. He, he accepts us. He is with us. He is so much more than what we can even fathom. He, there's a, there's a, uh, a lyric in a song that I love so much that just says, he's better than you think. He's better than you think. And that one always hits me. He's better. Like, I think of him so, like, over the years, I've gotten to know him, and I think of him so highly. And every time I sing those words, I'm like, wow, he's even better than that. He's even better than you could ever think or imagine and, and for, for us, we've just kind of discovered that as you actually study the scriptures through this idea of covenants and I'm not going to try to recap all of it. It's way too much. Uh, So I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you would like to. But with this whole idea of covenants, it's, it's this reality. The word actually says that the law veiled who God really is. And that Jesus is the one who comes and unveils who God really is. Jesus is the true representation of the Father, But that the law and all the stuff that the Israelites really chose to be under actually veiled God's true nature, his goodness, his love, his kindness, right? Everything, you guys have probably, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about what love is. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't keep a record of wrong. And then the Bible also says that God is love, right? So all those descriptions of love, he is those things. And yet so many people have this idea of him that's completely opposite to that. And I, um, this whole idea of like the, the law veiled God and then Jesus revealed, but there's this incredible picture of that 
in, in the scriptures, it talks about when Jesus was crucified, that there was this massive veil, literally, a massive veil that um, would separate the Holy of Holies. And this is where only the priests, after they got, went through all of the, the high priests once a year, could go through all of these cleansing rituals to go in. And it was such a holy place. And the veil was like really, really, really thick. And it went, I don't know, I should have looked it up, but um, it's really super high. high, really high, like very, very, very high, like you can't climb there, okay? And, uh, and so these, the high priest would come in, and they, I've heard that they actually used to have to tie a rope around because if the high priest went in and had any sin, he might just drop dead, and they would have to drag him out. Like that's how holy this place is. And God is veiled behind, and yet... At the cross, as Jesus died, it says that the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, giving us now, because of Jesus and the new covenant that he steps into for us, we now get access into the holy throne room of God. We get a face-to-face with God if we want it. And he's no longer scary and distant. Why? Because we, we, have, we are in Jesus. We, have, we take on the righteousness of Jesus. I was reading that scripture um, about the veil being, being torn, and I saw it first in the King James Version. And it says, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And I was like, I, yep, cool, rent in twain. <laughs> but what it actually means when I looked up the, the, um, the original Greek of that, it actually, it's the word that is used there is like it's torn. It's like a violent ripping. And it's the same word actually that's, that's um, described at Jesus' baptism when it says that the, um, the heavens opened and the spirit came down. It wasn't just a like, ah. It was like God was ripping open the heavens and going, here is my Holy Spirit on my son. And now everything is available to everyone. This is a powerful truth that we step into. And so all of us, we look at this and we go, the old covenant ended and the new covenant is established with Jesus. There's so much more to that. I'd encourage you to go back and listen next week or last week if you hadn't heard it. But there's so much that that happens at the cross. And this new covenant with Jesus is literally established for us at the cross and at the resurrection. Yes. Amazing. Like Tertia said, um, Good Friday, we had this really amazing Good Friday service and just talking about the cross and what happened at the cross and walking through these covenants and reading the Old Testament and understanding that Jesus is all throughout, that will just blow your mind. How many, how many know that, that Jesus is in all over the New, Old Testament? Yeah. He is. He's all over the place. There's, I mean, you see it in Abraham and Isaac. That's a picture of, of the father and the son, right? Abraham takes, his, takes Isaac to sacrifice, and we see that, and it, he ends up not doing it. And then we see it in the Passover lamb, right? That's another picture of Jesus. The angel of death comes, and he's going to take all the firstborn sons, but the Israelites are protected by the blood of the lamb. Death passes over because of the blood of the lamb. And the third is the atonement lamb, right? When they were in the old covenant, and every year they brought the spotless lamb that would be brought, the priest would bring it, and it would be killed. And then the blood of that, that spotless lamb would be sprinkled on the, the, the Ark of the Covenant for just another year of forgiveness. This is another picture of Jesus. But the crazy thing is this. When we see the atonement lamb, we see this happening. That's, that is a, by faith, coming before the Father, becoming, coming before God and, and asking for forgiveness and by faith believing that God was going to forgive for one more year. Yep. 
So this was the system for years and years and years of the Old Covenant. For 1,300 years, they would do this every year. That's a lot of lambs. <laughs> and then after that's done, what would happen is they would actually sit down and eat, and it would be a covenant meal. It would be a relationship. But the amazing thing that happened is that Jesus became the perfect spotless lamb of God. And that's what happened on Good Friday, right? Jesus, they bring Jesus, and he is perfect, sinless, spotless, and he is killed, and his blood is spilt, and all sin is forgiven for all of time. No other sacrifice ever needed to be made. So that's where we were with Good Friday, but here's the problem, is he was dead, right? But what is this? Paul says this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But that's not what happened. See, Jesus sacrificed, took care of sin, but we were still stuck in our sin nature. But what happened when Jesus was resurrected, he was risen on the third day. He was the first of many brethren, and that is the reality of what we get to look forward to, resurrection life right now. So we talked about it on Good Friday. Like some, we, we use this language of Jesus died in my place, but that's not the truth. You died with him. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says. It says that when you receive Jesus and you're baptized, you died with him. You are dead to your old self. You're dead to your sin nature. You no longer have it if you've given your life to Christ. Come on. When you were, ra- you were raised, you received eternal life. You received a clean conscience, righteousness, and you're no longer a slave to sin. And the thing is, so many of us are trying to earn that stuff. When it's already available, it's been freely given by grace, by Jesus raising from the dead. Are you guys awake? Come on, this is the truth. (laughs) With Jesus... His death and his resurrection, he established a new covenant. Now, again, like Tertia said, I, I encourage you, watch, go back and watch all the covenants because it will make a lot more sense. But this covenant that was made veiled the Father, but Jesus came to reveal the Father and make a new covenant, a covenant of love, a covenant of righteousness, not that you are righteous, but that he puts his righteousness on you and makes you righteous. Not by what you've done, not by earning it, not by being good, but exactly just by what he did, by him putting his righteousness on you. Come on, we get to step into that. A new covenant based on forgiveness, not the law. You know, it talks about how um, the, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the, word, the, the blood of Abel, right? Because when Abel was killed, the blood was spilt, and he said, God, God says the blood cries out from the ground. It's a, it's a revenge. It's a, it's a vindictive blood. But what is Jesus' blood? Jesus' blood is a better word of forgiveness, Come on. Let's go. So some of the Pharisees, the Pharisees all the time, they would try and um, corner Jesus and, and like stump him, but it never happened. It's really fun to read. Um, 
but they, they came up to him and they're like, so Jesus, you know, these are all Pharisees, they're following the law and they're, you know, they're, they're really self-righteous and they're, some of them were probably keeping the law, I don't know, but they're really, really self-righteous and they're like, Jesus, what's the most important command in the law? And Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you guys think those are good commandments? They're really, really good. They're really good. Actually, so good that we actually kind of, we're kind of using it as a framework a lot in our church right now. Like God actually, we feel, is, is highlighting certain things that we're, we're ignoring as the church, like emotional health, like mental health, like all these things God's highlighting to us. See, because those all line up with things like this like loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if you can't, if you're not whole, how do you love God with all, the, all of that? You can't. See, we're raised to life. Our spirits are made brand new, and our souls need to catch up. They need to catch up to the realities, right? Sometimes we know all the time, it's, it's like this process of sanctification is God actually leading us along and giving us revelation of who we actually are in him. Right? But get this. He's talking about the old covenant. You guys know that? Isn't that crazy? So he doesn't do away with it. Those are all really, really good things, and those are all really things we should be doing. But check this out. When Jesus, he establishes this new covenant, and then this is what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what's crazy is it says a new command I give you. I, so I, I heard this like this is the only command that Jesus gave. Everything else was like, like you obviously do it, right? Jesus said it. But this is the actual place where he commands it. And we look through it like we can't find anywhere else in the New Testament where Jesus commands something like this. He's commanding that we love one another as Jesus loved us. Now, does that sound pretty impossible? <laughs> that sounds really impossible. But the amazing thing is it's possible because of his Holy Spirit. The amazing thing about the gospel is this. Again, it's nothing that we do to earn. It's nothing that we, we don't become super Christians and get little badges and stuff. It's how much are we yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit to work in us. That's, that's all it is. That's all it is. So I was going to go somewhere else, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And as Cody mentioned, we kind of, we, we went through, because we had heard that that's the only command that Jesus gives. Like Cody said, there's lots of amazing things he says. Um, but every other place where it talks about the command of Jesus, it's always in reference to how we love. Um, I want to read to you guys Second John chapter 1, verse 6, and it says, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So even when he's looking back on the old, you know, the old uh, covenant, and they're asking him, the Pharisees are asking him, what's the most important? He sums it up by love God and love people, right? And then he goes, and this is the new command. Don't just love like you're supposed to love yourself. Love how I love you. Because sometimes we don't even love ourselves the way we should, right? And so he's going, I, I'm setting the standard. But like Cody said, it's only by his spirit that we're able to do that. 
This love changes everything. You see, Jesus steps into every single area of our lives. I think so many of us can start to see faith and religion as just this thing that we do. It becomes part of our life, like we have a career, we have a family, we have a church, or you know. But the reality is this Jesus says, I want to step into every part, all decisions you make, every thought you have, everything you do should be led by Jesus and who he is and his love. I want to share you guys, share with you guys a, a really personal story of something that just happened to me last night. Um, but I want to first give you a little bit of background because uh, God showed me this scripture. And it's a scripture that's in um, Song of Songs. Song of Songs is an Old uh, Testament book that was written by Solomon, who's the son of King David, wisest man to ever live. Um, And he writes this very interesting little book. It's actually kind of a love letter. And um, it's possibly rated R. um, So, you know, don't let your kids read it just yet. But um, this is actually, even though it's this love letter of of Solomon, um, he actually, it's widely accepted now by all theologians that this is a metaphor for Jesus and his love, the church, his bride, the church. And so as you read it, it's this covenant love of Jesus um, as he is talking about us, his church. And God reminded me of this verse last night. I was um, very reluctantly doing laundry. And I closed the door, and we've been moving stuff around in our laundry area. And so we had a whole bunch of stuff that was from, like, some shelves and stuff. And I honestly don't even know how this particular stack of things ended up on top of our laundry, except that God meant it to be there. Um, And I see this stack, and at the top of the stack, I recognize my dad's writing. And uh, these were, I, I used to watch all my life. My dad would sit down to write a sermon, and he would take these blank pieces of paper, and he would just write notes and notes and notes and notes. And then eventually he'd go, and he'd you know, summarize it down as he kind of memorized more of it, and eventually he'd throw this copy out. So I really don't even know why (coughs) this was there, but there are a few of them. And I picked this one up, (coughs) and it just happens to be an Easter message. But even more than that, right at the top, it says, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. And that particular verse for me... um, is really important. Uh, You see, my mom's name is Sharon. She passed away just over two years ago. And Easter, honestly, is is a particularly important day for all of us. Uh, My mom, we found out, we discovered that she was dedicated as a baby at three months old on Easter. Um, When she was 16 years old, she was away at an Easter camp, and she gave her life to Jesus for the first time. And, uh, and then we had her memorial service um, the Easter weekend two years ago. But what this verse um, is so important, not only because her name is Sharon and it says Jesus literally calls himself the Rose of Sharon, but God also led my mom um, over 18 years ago. Uh, he introduced her to a already existing children's village that she has now created an entire nonprofit for. And the name of that children's village is and was Lily of the Valley. And so in that moment, it was like God was saying, things have been really hard lately, and he was saying, I see you. And I want you to know today that he sees you, that he sees you, and that there are so many of us, so many of you, 
that I believe came here today probably feeling like you're not quite worthy of his love. But I want to tell you that he loves you and he calls you worthy. I want to tell you that he sees you and he sees your pain and he sees your joy and he's in all of it with you. You see, Jesus is called the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. And then it goes on in the second verse. Um, Solomon says something along the lines of, my love is like a lily among the thorns. You see, Jesus says that we, his church, are like lilies among thorns. And I know for many of us, that's what life can sometimes feel like. Like we're like surrounded by things that are trying to stab at us, right? But the truth is that we, Jesus' church, we are called the light in the darkness. Why? Because he is the light. And then he turns around, he goes, I am the light of the world. And then he goes, you go be the light. Right? He, he constantly, he calls himself something. He says, I have the authority, now you have the authority. It's this incredible thing where the God of the universe steps down and he says, I actually want you to not be my slaves, but to be my friends. To not just be my friends, but to be my brothers and sisters. To not just be my brothers and sisters, but to be my sons and daughters. To be my heirs. To be those who actually rule and reign with me. He keeps on raising the standard of what is offered to us. And he keeps on saying, I'm calling you higher with me. But in the midst of all of this, he's going, but right now you're a light in the darkness. Right now you are beauty amidst a lot of tragedy. It's interesting, my dad wrote in these notes, he said, the lily and the thorns both have a place in the Easter story. Right, lilies are kind of known for um, Easter. <laughs> They're called Easter lilies. But the thorn, the thorns, you see Jesus, the lily of the valley, willingly put the crown of thorns upon his head. He took the thorns, the perfect son of God. I, I, I know the, um, I think you guys sang it on, sun, on Friday, the song, um, Son of Suffering. And those words just hit me. I just want to read a couple of them to you. It says, Oh, the perfect son of God and all his innocence, here walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. Then it goes on. It says, Blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who reached for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. But that's not, in, that's not it. He doesn't stay in his suffering. It says, your cross is my freedom. Your stripes for my healing. Your blood still speaking. Your love still reaching. All praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven. The last thing I want to share with you um, that I read that just hit me, and I, and I believe it's for so many of us. He said, my dad wrote, I took my thorn of grief to the throne of grace. And I want to invite you today to take any thorn of grief that you have to the throne of grace and make an exchange. The truth is that Jesus experienced the cross for a day. He experienced death for three days. But he now lives in resurrection life every moment. He got off the cross so you can get off the cross. 
He got out. Uh, he, he took care of your sin so you don't have to live in that sin anymore. He understands your grief so that he can come and be your comfort and your healing. Easter people live with hope. Resurrection people live being led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. You know, Cody just said, it's like everything is summed up. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things, love God and love people. But then there is the new commandment, the new covenant that we step into with Jesus. And he literally played every single part so that we couldn't mess it up. He plays every single part. Because you see, through all the other covenants, people always mess it up. And so God goes, okay, we're going to make a covenant between father and son, and everybody gets to enter in through Jesus. That is the reality that we live into. But now we live in this, and we live in this covenant of love where we get to love the way that Jesus does. He doesn't say things if he doesn't mean them. If it wasn't possible, he wouldn't say it. He doesn't trick us. He would be a liar if he, if he were to make these statements and they weren't actually possible. So we have to believe that he says that we can love others the way that he loves us. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 10 says this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, and here he quotes Isaiah 64, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can or has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Catch this. All those things, he says, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. If you leave with nothing else today, I want you to leave with the fact and knowledge that the veil has been torn and that you are able to enter into this God who says that we can actually even search and understand the deep things of God. That by the Spirit, if we will allow ourselves to be led, and I know that that can feel so far-fetched because so many of you, I think, are feeling like you're surrounded by thorns. But he took the thorns for you. <laughs> and I want to invite you today as an act of faith that you would just step in and go, Jesus, I may not fully understand this. You're going, I don't understand. I haven't seen. I haven't heard. My mind can't conceive. And he's going, it's okay. I can reveal it to you. But what I need from you is to, a yes. A yes to step in. And say, I believe, I am open. That's what faith is. So we just encourage you with that, that you would step into that today. Come on. <laughs> Jesus said that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give them life and life abundantly. And that is the reality that we live in. We're not stuck anymore. Like Tertia said, even in our, I think it becomes even more real when we're facing struggles, right? Yeah. It's easy to say when things are easy, but here in your struggle, wherever you're at, just grab hold of that. Grab hold of that. Grab hold of the fact that you've been made new, that you're a new creation. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High, that you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. 
right? Might have rattled some cages there, but it's the truth. That's what it says. If, if, Jesus, if Jesus made me clean and I'm still calling myself a sinner, I'm calling him a liar. Come on. And this is the truth. 2 Peter 1 4 says this through these, he has given us his very great and precious, bless you, <laughs> great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We get to participate in the divine nature. There, there needs to become a place where our faith comes, goes from this like theology, philosophy. There's got to be a place where the rubber meets the road. Let that be today for you. On the cross, Jesus did so much more than just forgive sin. He did so much more. Yes, he did forgive sin. He brought us to life. He brought us healing. There's an exchange. His stripes for our healing. If you need healing in this room, guess what? There was an exchange that happened on the cross. Come on. I'm going to pray. Or do you want to pray? You pray. We're going to have the worship band come up. So, God, we just, um, we're so in awe of you. God, we just thank you for everything that you are willing to endure for our sake. You did not have to. You could have just blown it all up and started over. But Jesus, you said yes for us. Jesus, I pray that today, right now, that you would just fill every single one of us with an awe and a joy for that reality, God, that we actually get to walk out of here today. We get to walk away from the cross and out in resurrection life. And Jesus, I pray for every single person right now that we would all just receive that resurrection life in our heart and our soul, God, in every part of who we are. Jesus, I pray for anyone right now who is just feeling that burning like it's time. You know who you are. It's time. It's time for you to step in. It's time for you to stop believing this is just, you know, a nice story, a nice thing to think about for, you know, that there's something more after you die. This is reality today. He went to the cross and he resurrected to new life, not just for eternal life. Yes, that's amazing. We get to live in all eternity in complete paradise. But he said that he came for abundant life today, that we would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Jesus, I pray for every single person in here, Lord, that we would each just take that step even deeper. God, I know that there are so many of us who have already given you our yes, but we give you our yes again. We just go even more, God. Whatever you're calling us to, we say yes, because there is a world who is desperate to know you. But right now, if there is any person, I just really get the sense that it's a moment to actually say 100%, yes, I'm in. And you don't need to understand it all. I think it was John uh, Wesley who spoke about how his, he was sitting listening to the gospel and his heart was strangely warm. <laughs> if you're feeling that, if you're feeling any kind of like that God's just calling you, beckoning you, I invite you right now just to pray with me, God, I say yes to you. God, I give you my heart. 
Thank you for forgiving my sins, Jesus. I just confess every area, Lord, anything that you bring to my mind where I have believed things that are not in line with what you say, where I've done things that are not in line with what you've called me to. God, I repent of those things and I turn now to walk towards you and be led by the Spirit. Right now, Father, we just pray that every single person who is making that decision right now for the first time or renewing that decision, God, that you would seal them with your Holy Spirit. God, we declare that they, there is a no trespassing sign on every single person, that the enemy cannot have his way because these are your people. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we thank you that every good thing we could ever think about you is true and even more. Way, way, way more. God, would you right now just reveal your love to us? God, in order for us to love people the way you loved us, we just ask that you'd pour out your love on us. In Jesus' name, amen.